A lot of cool stuff in this letter. Um, <clears throat> so what is, what is letter 23 about? Church potlucks. How oh, they're of the devil. What is letter 23 about? By the way, if you don't have this book, you can go online and get a free copy of it and open it and follow along. That does exist. Okay, this is still talking about the girl that's a Christian. That uh, Remember, this, these are two demons talking of how they can mess with Christian. Right? You have to keep that in mind. So the enemy is who? Jesus is the enemy in this book. And who is the father? Satan. Screwtape is talking to... Wormwood, all right, and they're and they're upset. Uh, Screwtape is upset because Wormwood's patient, which is the person. Wormwood's patient has found a girl, and uh, and started really liking this girl, and and uh, she's a good Christian girl, and he doesn't like this, right? And he's trying to tell Wormwood how he's made mistakes and what he's done wrong with all of this. Um. <clears throat> Uh, about halfway through the uh, first paragraph, it says, No doubt you have often practiced transforming yourself into an angel of light as a parade ground exercise. Now is the time to do it in the face of the enemy. Who's the enemy? Jesus. The world and the flesh have failed us. A third power remains, and success of this third kind is the most glorious of all. A spoiled saint, a Pharisee, an inquisitor or a magician makes better sport in hell than a mere common tyrant or a debauchee. Debauchee. It's, it's like the Cherokees, but a little different. What's a tyrant? Why, why is he trying to separate this tyrant or debauchee uh, from this, uh, this first part? Spoiled saint, Pharisee, an inquisitor, or magician. Why does he say they're better in hell or more sport in hell than a tyrant or somebody that's very debauched? You have to say it into the microphone. The, the debauched individuals are already taken. They're already easy. Yeah. They're already the prize. The others you had to work for. Okay, and I'll hand it over to Art. I said they're more entertaining in hell. In hell. <clears throat> now, why is that? Why are they more entertaining in hell? Well, kind of like a cat and a mouse, right? They're a cat and a bird. You know, you can poke at it, and when they squawk, you and poke at it again and just play with it and tease it and pull the hair out and whatever. <clears throat> Wouldn't you also say there would have to be some kind of... You know, I say this, I say this, I say it differently, but I say this fairly regularly is that Satan will harass us and harass us and harass us until he has us, and then he spends eternity laughing at us because his harassment worked. Or, and you can use other words than uh, harass, he can entice us and entice us until he has us, and then he laughs at us for eternity because we were enticed by something so silly as, as his temptations. 
When you look at this on the scope of humanity and eternity, the stuff we give into, guys, is nothing. It's silly. It's, it's little. Yes, ma'am. Those people that Satan enticed will go to hell thinking they don't belong there. Yeah, that's and huge. And they'll be protesting the whole time. That's huge. And, and by the way, a lot of scripture backs up what she just said. There's a lot of people that think, and, they, and the scripture attacks it from different ways. One of them is you, you, um, you healed the sick, you did all this stuff in my name, but I never knew you. Right? How about um, it's better to be uh, uh, cold or hot? Because if you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. There's a lot of like reformed kind of thinking about that scripture. I think it's totally wrong. I've read a lot of stuff over the years, and they're saying that... Um, that uh, the reason is because uh, cold water is good, hot water is good for cooking, that kind of thing, but lukewarm is nothing. The cold is not good. That's not what that scripture means, okay? The cold is completely cold to Jesus. They're cold, he, they're cold to him. The hot are hot for Jesus. The lukewarm think they're hot, but they're actually closer to cold, and they don't belong to Jesus. That's the point of it. And so... so uh, he says it's actually better to be cold than lukewarm. Why? Because of what Lynn just said. When you're cold, you know you're cold. When you're lukewarm, you think you're good. You think there's, there's going to be a lot of people, and Scripture says this in the last days, that many people, many people will be deceived. And the goal of Satan is to deceive even the elect or the Christians. Because there's a lot of people that he's already got, he's already deceived them, and they think they're good, but they're not living for the Lord. So how do we know? Let's just stop right there. How do you know if you're, if you're not one of the lukewarm? This is not, I, I think it's an easy answer, but it's not the way we think about it. I don't think, as Christians, we don't really get this answer very easily sometimes. How do you know if you're, if you're cold, you know it, Right? But if, how do you know you're not lukewarm instead of hot? What? I heard somebody. Compared to what? Yeah, so, so, so what do you mean compared to what? <clears throat> yes, so I, yeah, that was my point Sunday, but that's not my point tonight. Um, because can't you, shouldn't you, if, if Jesus says, I would rather you be hot over lukewarm or I'll spew you out of my mouth. If you look, so shouldn't you be able to know the difference or is this a, is this a game Jesus is playing with us? Yes, sir. There's evidence of it. You're, you're bearing fruit. You're sharing Jesus with others. And there, so there's evidence. Okay. I would say that's part of the answer. It can't be the total answer because the scripture says, you cast out demons in my name, you healed the sick, but I didn't know you. So evidence alone can't be, I, I do think that's part of the answer, but it can't be the answer by itself. I think it's also um, putting him as a priority over everything. And that means making very difficult decisions in relationships, your finances or whatever. It's the, you know, like the law of first fruits, they say, or, you know, putting God first in everything. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the, to me, that's, that's a, okay, I would say that's still part of the answer. I think there's, there's a little bit more behind that. But here's the thing with me is, at what area, and so guys, here, let me, let me just say this. 
As the pastor, I get this answer. I mean, I get these conversations, and I get, um, I see things sometimes, and it's just, it's just part of my existence. As a pastor, I know more about some people than others. Although, let me also, this is my disclaimer. I probably don't know what you think I know. Okay, please, please know that, okay? Because I have people sometimes come and apologize to me, Pastor, I, I know you know this. I don't, I don't, okay? Don't tell me unless you want me to know. Um, don't assume I know, because I don't. But when people come and tell me, like sometimes people come and say, well, you know, I'm not going to do this. You preached about this, but I'm not going to do that. Something straight out of Scripture, not something I'm suggesting, but from Scripture. If I'm suggesting, it better be coming from Scripture. If it's not, it doesn't matter if I'm suggesting it. It doesn't matter if I'm browbeating you with it. If it doesn't come from Scripture, it doesn't matter. What matters is what Scripture says. Because I'll have people come to me every now and they'll say things like, well, you know, I'm just not... I, I had a lady years ago, this is the way she said it. I've had many, many people say the exact same thing over the years, but this is the way she said it. She, and I was a youth pastor when she said this. I wasn't the one who preached this. My pastor preached it. And she said, well, um, me and my husband cannot afford to tithe, so we're just not going to tithe right now. And I told her, I said, then you'll never get out of the hole. Because she talked about their debt, they got all this. Fun. She said, I, she, I said, you'll never get out of the hole that you're in. She said, well, it's, no, that's not right. If I put all my money and we're going to pay these credit cards and, you know, Ramsey's deal, all this other stuff. And I said, okay, but what is one of the first principles of Dave Ramsey? Now, this is before Dave Ramsey, but... Um, you give to God first what's his, right? Jesus said that, give to God what's God, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And it's amazing how many people give to Caesar what's his, but not give to God what's his. So is Caesar your God or is Jesus your God? Right? And that's just one example. I can give you many things over the years where people say, I'm just not going to do that. It's just not what I'm going to do. Zach? So going back to the verse on the, you know, do all these things in my name, but I never knew you. My interpretation of the I never knew you part is like there was no there was no relationship in it. I think a lot of people treat Jesus like a thing and not a person. Yeah. You know, they pray to this thing in their mind or in the corner of the room, you know. <clears throat> but they never treat him like an actual individual because, you know, he was a person. I still think he is a person. Like, not, not a nerd. Probably but, still is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, they're personal beings. They're not these things. Yeah. Yeah, so, yes, very, very, very solid, Zach. And here's the thing. If Jesus creates you in his image, then even after the incarnation, you're still in, in the image that he created you in. In other words, you have emotions, happiness, sadness, um, uh, anger, all this. You have emotions. Those came from God. God created you with those emotions. Now, you've got to make sure that your emotions always stay in line with him and his word. In other words, Scripture says, uh, be angry, but don't sin. Don't get angry to the point where you're sinning. Anger is not a sin, but you can get to that point. The same way with um, desire, physical desire. Your marriage, you better desire your spouse, okay? Your, your spouse better be desirable to you. I don't really want to go into it more than that. You got it, what I'm saying, right? But here's the thing with that is, but that can also get out of line and be a sin, can it not? Desire, turn into lust, somebody you shouldn't. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. So God creates all these things in us to why? What is the ultimate reason God designs all of these things within us? Relationship with him. 
Not relationship with each other. That's secondary. Right? When we step into eternity, we're not going to marry each other in eternity. Jesus specifically says that. You're going to marry Jesus. So he's designed you to love him, to have a relationship with him. That's why something else Zach said to me last week. He said, can you get to a point as a Christian, or should you get to the point, however he said it, to where you have such a, a good ongoing relationship with Jesus that talking about him just becomes natural from you? That's our, that's our goal, guys. That's our goal. You, I can give you three or four major things in my life right now that if, I, if I'm sitting beside you on an airplane or I'm standing beside you in the grocery store and you start talking to me or something, because I'm probably not going to start talking to you. Although that's not true. I've been doing that a lot more lately. But, but there's certain things that are going to come up in my conversation with you. What are some things? You, you, some of you that know me well, maybe you can say this, but what are some things that are going to naturally come up in conversation with somebody else that I just, just met? Grandkids. That's going to be top of the list. My Jeep's probably going to come up in the conversation. Bacon's probably going to... Guys, we're getting off track. <laughs> Grandkids. That's a big one. My wife. This is something... I have had these discussions with people where they're at work you know, for six months and somebody says, oh, I didn't know you were married. How did you not know... That person was married. The reason is because they are hiding it from you for some reason. How can you go six months and they not know? Oh, I didn't know you had kids. How do you not know I have kids? Well, because I'm not talking about them. I'm, I'm, that's not important in my relationship with you. Well, there's very few people that are not going to know me anytime at all, that they're not going to know something about my wife, something about my kids, and a whole lot of stuff about my grandkids. I had this lady the other day that was walking through the store, and she said something to somebody else about her grandkids. And I said, I'm a grandfather also. And I just kept walking. I couldn't help it. It just came out. I almost said, I am Papa Squat. But, but I don't know. Some people, sometimes that, you need to preface that before you just say that, you know. Um, but, but guys, shouldn't it be a point where when you're having a conversation with somebody that it comes out that you belong to Jesus? Your relationship with Jesus? When you're talking about lukewarm, um, I always thought of conviction, because if you're hot, you're convicted to speak about Christ. If you're cold, you're convicted to go against it. Lukewarm, yeah. you're just there. Yeah, there's just, you're in between, you're nothing. There's a nothing thing. And you know, and to use the word conviction, I want to use it not just in a pejorative sense, not like being convicted of something, like sin or something, but I'm a person of conviction. I have conviction to say something, to be something, to live this way, something like that. Who over here? Show. Yeah, I think it all comes back to Jesus being our first love, which kind of goes along with everything else we were saying, but him being the first love, being in love with Jesus. And like he said in the the letter to Ephesus in Revelation, he said, Jesus said, I know your works, I know all your good deeds, I know you're, um, you're being persecuted for your faith, you're, um, you don't tolerate wickedness, you can spot a false prophet, you test them and you make sure that what they're saying is true, yet you have um, 
you've lost your first love. And it says, repent and go back to where you've fallen from, or I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now, these things, these things are... So the way that I'm seeing the Holy Spirit saying this is this is what a Christian is. Right? This is, what, this is who a Christian is. These are the things that are going to be part of a Christian's life. And so when he says that to that church, he's saying, if this is not you, what are you supposed to do? Not get it right. He doesn't say, start doing what I've told you to do. What does he say? If this is not how you're, this is who you used to be, but this is not who you are now. So why are you not that now? What's the answer? What? But he doesn't, that's, what the, that's the answer, but he doesn't say that. What does he say? Start loving Jesus again. You've fallen out of love with Jesus. See, this is, the, this is the, I didn't understand this for a long time in my life. Really, truly, I didn't understand this. I thought if I tried hard enough, I could do all the stuff I was supposed to do and not sin. And then one day it clicked. I will never, ever be that good. I'll never be able to do all this stuff and not sin. The deal with me is I, I finally realized, when do, when do I just stop trying so hard all this stuff and start loving Jesus? And he says, return to your first love. Fall in love with Jesus again, and all that other stuff will be part of that conversation. Jim? Um, what I think, um, over my lifetime, I, I think that we're talking about a process we know what the end should be. We know what Scripture says, what we should do. <clears throat> but just as Paul said, I don't do what I should do. I do what I shouldn't do. And I think um, we're never going to achieve perfection. What's important is where are, where, you, where are you right now and where are you headed? Because <clears throat> over my lifetime, I've had times when I've had a really great relationship with the Lord... I've had other times when it wasn't so good because I was dealing with stuff that I had never had to deal with in my life before. So to me, this is a process. We're on a journey. We're never going to achieve total perfection. But am I closer to the Lord now in my relationship with him now than I was two years ago or six months ago? That's, that's how I'm measuring myself, because yeah. I, can, I can never, if I start striving, striving for perfection, I'm always going to be totally disappointed. Yeah, and, and the direction or the trajectory, the way, the way Jim is saying that, the trajectory, because this has been one of my biggest issues, one of my biggest uh, shortcomings over the years, is I set a trajectory, and, I, and I work, I'm very focused, and I work very hard toward that trajectory. And they're good trajectories, right? Uh, read my Bible more, um, um, study more, uh, talk to more people, witness more, those kind of things. But there's a problem with that thinking. Because the trajectory, those should be results of the trajectory, not the trajectory itself. What should be our goal down the road? Love Jesus. Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. I used to time my, my uh, prayers, my prayer time. This is a long time ago. But I used to time, I would turn a stopwatch on and I would pray until the stopwatch beeped. 
so I could pray 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. Try, try, here's, here's, to, here's how effective that is. Try this, not with the Lord. Try it with your spouse. Right. Sit down with your spouse and say, you know what? We haven't spent some quality time together. I would like to give you 20 minutes of my time. Beep. <laughs> see how that works. Right? But we do that stuff with God, don't we? We're supposed to, you know, we're, we're supposed to do this, or I'm going to read my Bible 15 minutes a day or whether I don't have a set time to read my Bible. I read my Bible in two ways. I read my Bible all the time because I'm a pastor, okay? I'm always studying, always looking at stuff, making notes. But that's not my devotional time, right? I, for my devotional time, I just read. Now, it's hard not to take notes sometimes, but, but my notes will be, um, look up this scripture about this subject, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll set it down. I won't make more notes than that. Because I feel like if the Holy Spirit can speak to me then, he can speak to me later. But, but what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to just have a relationship. I'm just, Jesus, I just, want to, I just want to sense your presence. I just want to read stuff about you, read stuff from you. Um, that's different. I study all the time because that's part of my job. I mean, it's also... I love it, but that's part of my job, and so that's different. For some of you guys that have small groups, life groups, Bible studies, or stuff like that, if all you're ever doing is reading for that study, you're missing something. Because you'll, you'll get into a, a track where you're, where you're doing it for someone else. Well, what about your relationship with Jesus? What about the relationship side? And I have, to, I have to make sure, this is one of the things for me, I have to make sure that my trajectory is to Jesus. And all the other stuff flows out of that because that's, that's a challenge for me sometimes. I, I truly am a, a, what do you call it, a, a visionary. I don't, I don't do well short-term kind of stuff. In fact, I was talking to one of the construction guys out here the other day. He was, he was asking me some stuff. We'd been, I've, I've been talking to all those guys. In fact, some of them told me they were going to be here tonight, but they're not. But... Um, I, I, I've been going out there two or three times a day for one reason, just to talk to those guys, just to, just to, just to talk. And, uh, and they know I'm a pastor, obviously, and so things come up, and sometimes I push that. But I told the guy, I said, I, I struggle sometimes just living in the now. He, he's been explaining to me that he was, uh, he was a, a hardcore alcoholic for years. In fact, he said to me, I didn't prompt this, I didn't do anything. He said, I don't know what you think about alcohol. He knows I'm a pastor here, because I don't know what you think about alcohol, or if, it, if your church drinks or whatever. He said, but I think alcohol is one of the most dangerous things in this country. And I told him, I think it is the most dangerous. It's more dangerous than marijuana, cocaine, meth, anything. And one of the reasons is because Satan can entice us to take a little drink every now and then. As Christians, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just take a drink. And it's amazing to me how many Christians will fight for their right to party. And, and Satan pulls us in. I have almost all of the issues that I've seen over the years as a pastor with domestic violence, divorce, child abuse, all kinds of stuff like that. Alcohol is the base of almost all of them. 
I used to go with the police. Years ago, I used to go with the police to domestic violence moments. They wouldn't do this now. There's too many uh, violations legally. But the police would call me, say, Pastor, this couple, we're going to a domestic violence. You want to go with us? Oh, yes, I'll go along. And they, I'm not making this up, they would wait at the police car and let me go up to the door first and talk to them. And as long as I felt like it was safe, I could sit there and talk to them. Okay? Um, because they, if they go up, somebody's got to go to jail. That's Colorado law. So I'd go up and talk to them. And, and in, um, pretty much every single time, alcohol was involved. And we, and we fight for that. And this guy, he's not even a Christian, but he said alcohol destroys more families than anything else. And, and our country will never, ever accept that. He's right. I went, to a, I went to one of these calls years ago. The way that it happened was this lady, yes, it was her, she picked up the phone and dialed 911 because her husband had pulled out a um, 38 special and was pointing it at her and told her he was going to shoot her. So she picks up the phone and dials 911. Then they start yelling at each other. So she, and he says, hang up the phone. Hang it up now. So she hung up the phone. The problem is when she hung up the phone, her finger hit the intercom or the uh, speaker button. Okay? So they're yelling at each other, yelling at each other. They don't hear the lady saying, yes, you've dialed 911. What kind of, they're screaming at each other. She pulls out her 357. They're facing each other down, and they're saying all of this on the phone, and it's being recorded by the 911 operator. So the 911 operator does a reverse, calls the cops, goes out, and I go with the cops, but as I go up, they say, I mean, as we get there, they say, we want you to stay in the car, because we, we know they both have weapons pointed at each other. And I said, guys, would you, would you give me just a few seconds just to go up and just see if I can do something here before you come up. Because this is going to get bad, right? If the cops come up, they could shoot the cops. Whatever. So I walk up to the door and I say, I'm a pastor, please don't shoot me. That was my opening line. <laughs> and I began to talk to these people. And both eventually put down their guns, all this, talked to them, prayed with them. Next Sunday morning, that lady shows up to church. She gives her heart to the Lord becomes one of Linda and I's very close friends. Her husband, not as much. I became, a, I became a good friend with him, but he never really, he only came to church a few times over the years. Um, they're, both, they're both passed away now, but um, they both shot each other. But uh, no, they didn't. Yeah, it was a Christian shooting. Christian shot a Christian, both went to heaven. So, um, but here's the thing with that is that... Alcohol was based on alcohol. The whole thing was on alcohol. The other good part of the story is she got saved. Her son got saved. Her son would call me for years. This was a long time ago. Her son would call me for years because he was so, he's dead now, but he died of overdose. He used to call me middle of night, two in the morning. Pastor, I'm like, where are you? I'm in Nevada. I'm strung out. I'm like, I do that about twice a year for 10 years, 12 years. All right, there's another thing that he 
deals with for a couple paragraphs here that I think is interesting. He uses this term, and he puts it in parenthesis, uh, quotes, uh, and he uses the term historical Jesus. What is he saying there? Historical Jesus. And it's specifically in quotes. And this is Satan talking. This is screw tape talking. What do you think he's talking meaning here? He explains it some. Uh, uh, very similar to that. Do we have... G- give me some examples of a historical Jesus, and specifically in contrast to biblical Jesus. Paul has something to say. Oh, um, some guy named Josephus wrote a book, and they talked about, yeah, Jesus was a person. He was there in Judea at this time, and then they go on to the next person. Yeah, Josephus, Josephus literally records the historical Jesus. Now, interesting, if you're, do you guys, anybody in here not know what the book of Josephus is? I can explain it just real quick. Okay. It's, um, so Jesus, Josephus was a contemporary of Jesus. He was alive at the time of Jesus. He was a historian. And he wrote a very large um, historical book, a book of history, a history book, right? And uh, he mentions Jesus in this. But Josephus did not like Jesus. He recorded miracles that Jesus did. He talked about how everybody liked Jesus. He was very popular. Um, all this different stuff. He even talks about Jesus... Uh, being put on the cross. and That's why when somebody says, I don't even think there really was a Jesus. Ah, you, you're not studying anything if you think that. Now, there's a difference between somebody saying, I don't think he rose from the dead. Okay, that's a discussion we can have. To just say he didn't exist, that you're not reading basic history stuff. We know Jesus existed. There's historical documents about this. There are, there are uh, uh, Islamic documents recording Jesus. Right? And so he actually recorded the historical Jesus. The interesting thing, though, is he didn't like Jesus, and he didn't think he was God. He thought he was a, um, a scam artist. But the most um, factual, extra-biblical, historical stuff that we have is from him. I just think that's funny. If he would have known that, he may not have ever written about Jesus, because he didn't like Jesus. Okay, there's other things for historical Jesus, though. What's the difference between a historical Jesus view at different times in history and a biblical view of Jesus? Okay, uh, unpack. Art has something to say. Jesus, the political rebel. And I have to be careful how we define that, but I, the, the way the current liberals define that is not... Is, is a new piece of Jesus that's not scriptural. I saw an article hmm, probably last week. I read about a third of the article, and I just couldn't anymore. But it, ex- it was trying to explain how if Jesus was alive today, he would be part of the woke crowd. And I thought, ah, oh, you're an idiot. But I read it. I read some of it because sometimes it's just fun to read idiots, right? Just... That he's going, to be the, he's going to be part of the woke snowflake crowd? Come on. I've heard people say this before also, 
that if Jesus were alive today, he would be a socialist. Yeah, that is true, 30 years ago. But people are always trying to say that Jesus would be a socialist. Now, why would they say that? Because there's actually some beginning understanding that I would say, yes, as you start down the path of socialism and you look at Scripture, Jesus wouldn't be in contrast to some of the beginning concepts of socialism. But where does it diverge? Okay, that's a good point. Jesus never forced anybody to do anything. What is one of the basic concepts of socialism? The government is in control. Do you think Jesus would be okay with the government being in control? Think about that. Who did Jesus get crucified by? The government. The Roman people say the Jews crucified him. They, they set everything up and pushed the Romans to do it, but the Romans were the one that crucified him. Now, the Romans didn't have a desire to crucify him like the Jews did. The Jews are the one that set him up for it. But it, was, it wasn't really the Jews. It was the Pharisees. The, the average Jewish person, think about this. The, the week before Jesus is crucified is what we call the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the triumphal entry um, where they're laying down the palm leaves, right? Because that's what they did. This wasn't a planned parade. Jesus just came riding in on a donkey, and all these people were so excited, they began to take palm leaves and lay them down, their, their coats, lay them on the ground and everything. So this donkey didn't walk on the dirt because this is the king. And they were shouting that stuff. That's the Jewish people. The Pharisees, who were in control of everything, the, the religious leadership, were the ones who pushed the Romans to crucify Jesus. Jesus was, was well-liked by the people, loved by the people. Now, Jesus' own argument is because I do miracles for you. Right? I give you things. And I, and I think when he was saying that, he was trying to say, when do you just love me? Right? Parents, have you ever felt like that? You can't be a parent for long before sometimes you just feel like all I am is a... I saw, I saw a family on some meme or something for Halloween this last year. The, the mom and two daughters were bags of, uh, bags of money with money coming out. The boy was a $100 bill and the dad was an ATM machine. And I thought, I get that. Right? Somebody else over here? Alex, were you handing that to somebody? Okay, what's another historical Jesus? By the way, Jesus wasn't a socialist. I also don't believe, by the way, that Jesus was a capitalist. I don't believe Jesus was any of that stuff. I do believe, now this is me, you don't have to agree with this. I do believe that God enabled capitalism to be set up. He put that in the hearts and minds of people. Why? Because at the end of the day, capitalism has gotten more people out of poverty than anything else. Right? Socialism puts them in poverty. Capitalism gets them out. And here's the biggest thing. Capitalism gives you resources. Americans have more resources than any country has ever had, and it's in the history of the world. And, and America, Americans give more to missions. And by the way, overwhelmingly, the people that give to missions and to... Um, to uh, nonprofits and things like that are overwhelmingly conservatives and overwhelmingly Christian conservatives. 
All these bleeding heart liberals that are always saying, don't destroy the environment, don't hurt, don't do this, and we should all love each other and coexist and get along. They, they, less than 1% of all uh, voluntary giving, what do you call that? Charitable giving comes from that demographic. Look it up. It's an easy statistic to find. Almost overwhelmingly, all statistics show that charitable giving comes from conservatives and specifically Christians. Not just church giving, all charitable giving. To like the United Way. and These guys called me the other day and said, would you give money to a police fund that will help police families uh, when their spouse has been shot? I'm like, I will. I'll give to it. Just send me this stuff. I, I, they caught me just right. Right? Okay. Anything else in the rest of this chapter? He talks about the historical Jesus a lot. Yes. So um, when he puts historical Jesus, he says, on liberal and humanitarian lines, we are now putting forward a new historical Jesus on Marxian, catastrophic, and revolutionary lines. I feel like that's just a direct parallel to what the woke church is now. It is exactly what it is. The woke church today is all humanitarian. It's all embracing things like socialism, embracing Marxism. I, I, really, I still can't understand it, and I've had this conversation with pastors that embrace the uh, Black Lives Movement. There's a difference between saying... I love black people and embracing a Marxist, an extremely Marxist movement, and they put it online that they're a Marxist movement. That has nothing to do with black people. Black Lives Matter is in favor of killing cops even if they're black. So it's not about black lives. It's about Marxism. And it's amazing how much of the church embraced that. There's a difference between saying, you know, we embrace people of all colors, races, creeds. Whatever. Okay, that's a difference between that. And then specifically saying we embrace a movement, the churches. I, I have friends in Texas that preach sermons about we are a church that stands with Black Lives Matter. I'm like, then you're an idiot because you didn't look at what they say they are. Not what I say they are, what they say they are. And then they support killing cops. And then they support killing black cops. When does somebody go, wait a second. I don't think that means what you think it means. And, and yeah, that's exactly what he's saying here is exactly they are embracing what they consider to be Jesus, but it's not the biblical Jesus. It's some kind of creation we've come up with. We designed this. Yeah, this is one of the big ones for me when, from, from growing up and then becoming in ministry and all this time, trying to figure this out in my head. You guys know, if you've been around here any length of time, my... My defining scripture as a pastor, not like personal things that the Lord has done with me, but like my um, mission scripture uh, as a pastor is Luke 15.1. And basically it says, all of the worst sinners of society gathered around Jesus to hear what he had to say. So here's the thing with me. Most church people think that the worst sinners of society don't want to know what Jesus has to say. They're not interested. Guys, I have, I have witnessed to so many people over the years, and I've never found anybody that just absolutely rejects Jesus. I've never found it. Now, I've found it in certain settings, 
like if you're in a, you know, a, a, a liberal college group discussion about how much we hate Jesus. Yeah, you're going to find somebody in that group. But, but I've never found anybody that says, no, I don't like, especially when you just talk to them. I don't like that Jesus. Well, so here's the thing. When, somewhere, the, the church Jesus, the American church Jesus, is not the same as the biblical Jesus. And there's enough difference that Luke 15, 1 does not apply in most churches across the United States to the point where they won't even say the thing. Do you think when everybody came up and started talking to Jesus, he didn't talk about sin? Do you think he didn't talk about God? You, didn't think, you don't think he talked about holiness and God's righteousness? That's all Jesus is. But those things aren't talked about in churches today. Why? Because we don't want somebody to walk away offended or upset or, or their feelings hurt or something else. But the sad thing is, is Jesus himself said, if you will just lift me up, I will draw the people to me. We're too busy lifting our churches up and our church beliefs and our church system trying to convince people to come to church and, and making church fun and exciting in such a way that everybody wants to come to church except for the fact that the church statistically gets smaller in the United States every year. So what we are doing is not working because we're trying to get people to come to church and we're not trying to get them to come to Jesus. Jesus is a divisive person. When there's sin in your life. But he's also the most loving, forgiving person when there's sin in your life. So if we just preach Jesus, let him take care of the stuff. Don't be afraid to tell people how awesome he is and how much he loves them. And don't, don't also be intimidated to say, and there's things he does not like. Don't talk about them. Don't point at them and say, things you're doing Jesus doesn't like. Nobody wants to hear that. But you can say, these are some things that the Lord has convicted me of. And I want to get them right because I want to please Jesus. And they may ask you, why do you want to please Jesus? I'm glad you asked that. Right? Don't be afraid to talk to people about who Jesus really is. Be careful, though, that you're not talking about a historical Jesus, your church's Jesus, or your idea of Jesus that you grew up with. Or whatever. Just go to what the Bible says. This is who he is. This is who he is. And it's amazing how the biblical Jesus... It's very embracing to people, and people embrace him. Not our Jesus, not the church's Jesus oftentimes, right? I mean, when you read Luke 15, 1, you know that, that that's not how most of the church world thinks Jesus and the lost interact, but they do. Why don't we try to be more like that? Instead of like what we are coming up to attract the lost, be more just like Jesus. Say the things he said. And they'll be attracted to that because the scripture says that. All right. We're, we're past time. Anything anybody want to throw out before we finish with this one? Yes, sir. James has something to say. When you say historical, I keep hearing the arguments in, in news saying he was a historical figure. Historical figures are dead. They are not alive. Valid point. Valid point. Yeah. So he, he goes on this long thing about how 
the perception is that what he wants to create this perception of the historical Jesus and who he is. And then he ends that whole long sentence with, we thus distract men's minds from who he is and what he did. And on that, I think it's really interesting because there are churches that are speaking the truth and, you know, putting culture in and in, in how it's relevant to us today, like what you preach. And then there's others that I see large churches where you're saying, you know, they support Black Lives Matter. And then you have those who don't say anything at all. It's like they just are, they don't address anything. They just completely sweep it under the rug. And I'm wondering why or what you think that is the case because you have those who are woke and they're very vocal and then we have those who are more outspoken about the truth and then you have those churches um i can think of one right now in the dallas area that just it just makes me crazy and they don't say anything you know it just that they, they don't they're neither hot nor cold i guess maybe i don't know it's really odd but why it seems to me like there are more churches that are kind of there in the middle and they don't say a thing what do you think about that well it, that's way easier it just is. Um, there, there's been a couple of times. So I've, I've been in ministry for 31 years. So there's been a couple of times over the years, like a few months at a time. I, I hate to admit this, but that's just the truth. Where I was just so tired of everything. Tired of people. Tired of people picking on me. Um, I, I'm not a mean person. I'm not. I don't. I've never treated people like the way they've treated me. I've never. Um, I come across mean sometimes, but that's your perceptions. It's not me. <laughs> but I, so, so there's been, I can think of two different times frame, one for about six months and one for about, about the same time. At two different times in 30-something years where I just got so tired of getting up week after week and preaching truth and being picked on for it and saying things that I don't necessarily want to say it's so much easier to preach that stuff. It's so much easier just to preach, Jesus loves you. Let's all just hug. Jesus loves you. Let's just hug. You know what? Let's all just stand and hug. And Jesus loves you. And let's just hug. And after a while, and so for about six months, I just preached that stuff. Two different times in my ministry. And it's amazing how nobody said anything negative. Nobody complained. Everybody kind of got along. Um, started bringing their friends. Uh, marriages started splitting up. Um, families were having a lot of problems. But we all got along pretty good, you know? Uh, nobody got saved, but we all got along pretty good. And two different times that I did that, that God really convicted me of that. Because why? It's easier. It's easier not to confront anything. It's easier. I could get up and just be Max Lucado every week. Everybody would love me. And then the sad part is, is Jesus would spit me out of his mouth. And I'm not picking on Max Lucado. He, he has a specific goal. That's not the goal of a preacher. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, so I was going to address what, what uh, Christy said. And the same thing, you told me the same thing. Man, I was, I was at the church maybe two and a half years, and I was just feeling gutted. And, uh, and you said, easiest way to grow a church is just make everybody feel good. So John's a pastor in Golden. Oh, sorry. 
My bad. <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, so I, I was having a really hard time about two and a half years into the church, and uh, we've been there seven years now, and uh, it hasn't been all fun and games. But uh, I, me and Pastor were talking about it, and he just looked at me and said, well, if you really want church to grow, just make people feel good. He said, it's not biblical, but make feel good. They keep coming back. And I was like, that's not what I want, you know. Anyway, and then uh, one other thing about the whole... Let me make sure you understand what I said to him. <laughs> he knew I was being sarcastic. It's not biblical, but people will come to your church. Yeah, yeah. And one other thing, we did a study uh, on the screw tapes, uh, and when we talked about the historical, uh, historical Jesus versus biblical Jesus, um, it's basically the biblical Jesus is the Messiah, right? Son of God, deity, da-da-da. And the historical teacher is the shadow of him. It's what people want to what people want to see when they don't want to see the light. That's how it was explained to us. So, very solid. I like that too. Yeah. Okay, guys, we are way late. We are way late, and I haven't had any chili yet. So, I will. Never fighting words. I will come back there and. We'll, okay. So, uh, so how are we going to pray? How is God stirring you to pray about this? Nothing? You got nothing going on inside? Yes, ma'am. I'll repeat what she said. Just not to be weary in well-doing. Because just to, to persist and to not give up and to stand for the truth. Because even Jesus said that, you know, daughter-in-laws against mother-in-laws, you know, sons against fathers, and that kind of thing was going to happen. So we shouldn't be shocked when it does. Right. I mean, it's painful and it's difficult at times, but we cannot, uh, we cannot, you know, let go. We have to be relentless in our pursuit of the Lord and the, His truth. Yeah. Just stay in there. Almost everything in life works with that axiom. Just stay in there. James? Give us a heart that's not concerned about the world's perception, but a heart that's concerned about the world. And that is becoming more defining for everything. The world's pushing a lot at us, guys. The only way we can do this is pray. Really seek God. Get close to Him so that you'll recognize the counterfeit. You'll recognize false teachers, fakeness, all this other stuff. How do you do it? You get close to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. Get close. All right, let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for all the fun, the stuff. And Lord, thank you for loving us and letting us love you back. Jesus, thank you for being so amazingly big, but also involved in our life, intimately involved in our life. Jesus, we thank you for your presence, your power, your grace, your mercy. We thank you so much. And Jesus, we pray first for us individually, that we will always be drawing closer to you. Lord, I pray that for Church of Bargate in general, that we will draw close to you, that we will want to know you. God, I pray for churches all over this city, that they'll want to know you, that if they're being tempted to turn away or to get caught up in a fakeness or all the other stuff, that, Lord, that they will just get before you and pursue you. In the name of Jesus, we thank you so much. Walk with us tomorrow. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to let somebody know that you love them in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. All right. Take your chili and go home. <laughs>